Hey y'all, welcome back to the Power and Lifting Podcast. I'm your host, Solana Lewis. Today I speak with Dr. Lisa Lewis. Dr. Lisa is a psychologist and she specifically works with athletes and coaches. So what we really dive into today is the mentality, the mental part of being an athlete, how you can really hone in on certain things to make sure that you are well prepared mentally on meet day, as well as physically. As we all know, if you compete or you love this sport, the mental part of it is huge. And if you are mentally strong and mentally prepared to do your best, the odds are much higher that you'll be successful and achieve your goals. We also dive into what it's like to be coaching athletes and helping them with their mental as well. Things that coaches can do to help frame the way their clients are thinking and be more positive about their competition in a way that will suit them better. So really interesting conversation. I absolutely loved it. I think you'll love it too. So please enjoy today's episode and let's dive in. All right, y'all. I am here with Dr. Lisa Lewis, someone whose Instagram I really enjoy looking at, someone who I think will be able to teach me and teach you all a lot because she is a psychologist and she herself, I mean, you work out a lot. You are clearly an athlete and also you work with other athletes and coaches to help them with their actual teaching their athletes to be successful and like getting through to their athletes, which is something that we can all as coaches work on. So I'm so stoked to have you. How are you today? I'm great. And thank you so much for having me on here. It's really exciting. And I got to check out your Instagram too, when you reached out to me, um, which is amazing to see how strong you are and your following. And um, I'm looking forward to our talk today. Yay, thank you so much. Okay, so I think the first thing I'm going to dive into is for you, what's the number one thing that most athletes struggle with mentally when it comes to performing the day of their competition, their meet, whatever it is they're doing? What's the number one thing you see? Mm-hmm. Performance on the day of the competition. Um, I think it's getting in that optimal mental zone that space where performance is the best. And for different athletes, that's a different spot. So what we talk about is kind of the zone of how activated you are on a scale of one to 10. So one is like almost asleep, which most athletes don't want to be at. And 10 is your head's about to blast off and you're going to explode from how fired up and maybe anxious you are. And most athletes don't want to be there. So what is interesting to me over the years is I've heard from powerlifters that they kind of like to be like a five, give or take. And of course, there's there's always different athletes who say different things. But the goal is to identify what your number is and then how to get yourself to that level of activation or what's called arousal in the sports psych literature. So what is your mental preparation and what's your pregame routine? So just the same way you would do physical warmups, you need a mental warmup. And in powerlifting in particular, that environment can be really overstimulating. You know, there's a lot of people milling around doing different kinds of things, and maybe you're hearing the other competition go on. And so the goal is not to get distracted and sucked into the environment, but to create your own internal environment, or maybe something you're listening to, or even something you're looking at, that's going to get you to that space where then you're going to be able to go out and perform your best. So I think one of the biggest I guess mistakes I see people make, or maybe something they haven't even thought about is preparing mentally and creating a whole strategy around how to get themselves to that magical number where they're going to be able to go out and really perform their best and show what they got. So this is huge because I was just at a meet this weekend, like a regular local meet. And this is where you see like the novices, right? Like a lot of people's first meet, stuff like that. And I'm looking around and you see everything from the person who's getting super hyped up, but they go on the platform and you're like, they were clearly too hyped because like they skip a command. They're just a mess. They're like moving around. Their knees are shaking. Like, ma'am, it's not time for your knees to move yet. And it's like, they're just so overstimulated. And also... I think for me, actually, as an athlete, my issue is the opposite. I can't even try to get that hyped, but I actually can go out and be so chill that I'm like, oh, wait, now the weight feels heavy, but I hit this like two weeks ago. It shouldn't feel as heavy because I'm just so relaxed. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I like, how do you start to like come up with the strategy for meet day for your mental? Because 
you have mm-hmm. to probably obviously practice that in the gym but it's also like what's step one like music yeah. like what is it <laughs> That's a fabulous question. So step one for me, and I think your listeners can do this at home. When I'm working with an athlete, my step one is to go back in their minds to an optimal performance. So what I mean by that is a day when you crushed it, like in your emotionally, physically, everything, it was an amazing performance by you. And what I do is I have the athlete tell me the story of that day. So they basically narrate for me in present tense, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I was thinking this. I was thinking that. And typically what you get are really good quotes and information about what was happening that was working for them. So I furiously type or write while the athlete is providing that narration. And then I have a nice rich data set. So a whole bunch of sentences where I'll say, okay, let me read this back to you. And then you let me know if there's anything you want to add or tweak. So then they hear it fed back to them and are like, it's a, it's a nice way to hear what you're talking about and thinking about in an optimal performance. And then we, we play with it a little bit. I type it up and send it to the athlete. And I tell the athlete, you can edit this. You can take two or three sentences you love and slap it in your phone for notes or put it on a post-it note and throw it in your bag. But the idea is that you want to recreate how you felt and what you were thinking and some of the environmental stuff, if you can, in that next performance. So the optimal performance is really a nice anchor to get the ball rolling. And it also helps me be able to say to the athlete, okay, you told me the story. How amped up were you, you know, on this scale of one to 10 and help them find a number because having that number then is really nice when we're having a back and forth to be able to talk about, okay, that performance this weekend what were maybe you were three or three and a half and where did you need to be and how can we close that gap so we don't overshoot the mark but maybe like what was missing or you know so it help it you're trying to quantify something that's wicked squishy and and qualitative but being able to talk that out and practice it and then get this little script is a really nice like i would say 101 for starting to think about mental preparation I feel like that's the most genius thing I've ever heard. Like write out, like say exactly how it went and then hear it back. Like, cause just oh, imagine it being fed back to me. Like I'll be like, wait, I know I just said it, but now I'm hearing it. And it's a whole different experience because now you're like, wait, this doesn't even make sense. And maybe one part like this was dumb to do now that I heard you say it, even though I said it to you. Mm-hmm. So that is, okay. That's a great piece of advice. So when it comes to battling, this is definitely, because I personally work with a lot of novices that come to me for their first meet or it's like their second or third. Typically, they're not already at like a national level. And their Mm -hmm. number one problem is negative thoughts, like just picturing failing. They go out, they're like, what if I miss it? I'm like, well, why would you say that right before you go out? Like, don't say those words. So how do you overcome negative thoughts? My, the only advice that I like really push is like, stay positive things, but sometimes saying it out loud isn't enough when you truly don't believe it at all. Yeah. So there are many, many, many different ways to work on negative thoughts. And what I'm going to say before I get into it is people who are listening might hear me say one strategy and that's not it for them. And other people, it might be the jam. But in general, the field of psychology is filled with different kinds of strategies. And so You've probably heard of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Mm -hmm. CBT is like the initial kind of therapy that was really focused on strategically changing negative thoughts. But then we got other kinds of cognitive behavioral work like DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, um, other kinds of therapies that there are, they are kind of CBT, but like different flavors. So Let me just say to people out there, there are many different flavors of how to work on negative thinking. Some people benefit from what you're describing, which is to think positively and say positive affirmations. For other people that can feel forced and like, it's almost like that negative thought is like lodged or stuck in them and they feel like they're just kind of covering it up or faking it. So I like to hear from the individual, talk to me about what is going on in your mind. And I'll say, if you were a cartoon character and you had that little bubble over your head, you know, with like the internal monologue, what would be in the bubble? 
So it helps to give them an image and then they can give me the quotes. Again, I really like to write down the quotes of what the people say, because typically people have a theme and the theme is going to be something like they're not going to be good enough or they're not going to be perfect or um, they're not going to matter or it's something there's usually a theme. So I like to hear what it is and, and maybe what the triggers are. So like in this example, it's getting ready to go out to a performance. And for people who describe getting really, really stuck, I'll say, you know, it is the brain's natural tendency to think about the worst case scenario. So we are learning machines. We are animals that are thinking of survival. And for many, 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 many thousands of years, it really suited us to think about the scariest worst case scenario because it kept us alive. You know, we were running away from the saber toothed tiger in the jungle, et cetera. So now it doesn't serve us so great because our life is not in danger, um, but it is still natural. So there is a thing called negativity bias. It was first written about, I think, in 2011 by a few psychologists, Rosin and Rosiman, and they say, we are, you know, our evolution predisposes us to think negatively. So your negative thought is natural. And because you have this great, big, evolved neocortex, you can do something about it. You don't have to be overrun by your negative thinking. So I live in Boston where a lot of the athletes here are smarty pants and highly educated. So just saying a positive affirmation, like it's not enough for them. They need, they like that education of like, oh yeah, that's why I think the negative thought. So what I do is I, I tend to take a pretty traditional cognitive behavioral therapy approach, which is what is the thought? So what's in the thought bubble that is harming your performance, that is messing you up. So let's pretend that we're like, I'm a little surgeon and I can take a magical little scalpel, cut that thought out of your brain. What could we put in the bubble, in the thought bubble that would not only not make you anxious, but would improve your performance or increase the chances that you would have an excellent performance. And it's really amazing to hear people like think about and talk out loud about what would be helpful for them. Typically you get something really organic and authentic. So you're not giving them a positive affirmation. It's coming from within them. Or we can rely back on the script, you know, and statements they made to themselves in that optimal performance. And then I say, okay, so now you got to get your reps in because the thing about negative thoughts is people got a lot of reps in with thinking negatively. So it becomes automatic. So if you want to get rid of automaticity of negative thoughts, you got to stop it. You got to replace it. And then you got to practice, 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 practice what the reframe is. And the reframe is that positive thought that goes back in the bubble. So that's another thing I tell people, the same way you're getting your reps in at the gym, you are getting your reps in of the, your reframing thought. So your training, your mental training and your physical training are both going to improve your performance. And so I want you to treat this just like you would treat any other training that you're going to be doing in the gym. So it really seems like a big key part of this is like, you have to let them say what they need to be thinking. Like, I think as go. a coach, I definitely am like, no, like, say you're going to get it. Like, I definitely am the one who's like, say this, because I'm like, we're here and we got to go. Yeah. But you're right. Like, just picturing myself, you as an athlete, like, if I say it, I'll believe it more because like, at least it came from me. And if I don't fully believe it, at least I can practice my words and not like, okay, Dr. Lisa said I can do all things through Christ. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just mm -hmm. repeating this sentence that I don't care about. So that mm -hmm. is like, like that little piece right there, like that's just blowing my mind. I'm like, that's something that I as a coach can adjust now and probably help out with my athletes like immediately. Mm -hmm. Well, you're bringing up such a good point because as coaches, like people hire you to tell them what to do, right? But that's a giant paradox in coaching because really the client is the boss and we're just guiding our clients. You know, we're just kind of helping to Sherpa or shepherd them the path that they have to walk themselves. So the more you can get all the good stuff from the inside of them, the more motivated they're going to be, the more authentic they're going to feel and the better the strategies are going to work, which means you kind of got to posture yourself, not out in front of them or not behind them, you know, patting them on the back, but right by their side and really staying tuned into what words they use and, and what works for them. So 
I think that's a really nice insight that you're having about like maybe something to work on or just notice a little bit more moving forward. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. I think my next thing is, so what happens when, this is a big one I see all the time, you're in the middle of the competition. So when it comes to powerlifting, let's say you get through squats, but your last squat, you failed it. And you're like, Mm -hmm. oh no, even though I did everything Dr. Lisa said, I have my own positive thoughts. I've been saying it the whole time. Now I actually feel the thing I feared the most and I have six more attempts to go. This is Mm -hmm. where as a coach, can definitely sometimes struggle to get them to refocus because we have more to go and the words I'm saying are not getting through to them so what is something that the athlete can do to be like I had to push past this I'm still here yeah so in that scenario you're describing where the person is like oh no this is what happened and is really stuck in that I just play it out with them and talk about the worst case scenario okay you missed it what is the worst possible thing that could happen now? Because their brain, when you, anxiety is worry about the future and it's always nebulous. Like what if this, what if that, right? It's always like unclear. Your brain is trying to predict what's going to happen. That's what our brains are. They're predicting machines. So you just, what you want to do is take the mystery out of it and say, let's think of the worst possible thing that could happen, right? So your athlete might say, well, I'm going to miss the next six lifts. Okay. And if that happens, then what's going to happen? Well, then I'm going to, feel like I had a terrible meet and I blew it. Okay. And then what's going to happen? Well, then I guess you and me are going to have a meeting about like, what do I need to do different the next time around? Right. Okay. Is that going to be the end of the world? No. All right. What else? What else terrible could happen? I don't know. My brother's in the audience watching and I might be embarrassed. Okay. You ever been embarrassed in front of your fill in the blank, you know, before? <sighs> All right. So that's the worst. Can we take that? and put it in a little Tupperware container and pop the lid on it and see what we can do about your last six attempts. Cause that is what it is, but let's see if we can go somewhere different than that. What do you think? Are you up for that? If you want to stay focused on this, you can, I don't think it's going to lead to the best next six lifts. Since we talked about it and you know what the worst case is, why don't we try for something else? So you're kind of like negotiating, right? Like you're getting them to unpack what's the scariest possible thing. And then it's not a big monster that's going to eat them. And then see if you can get a little space from it, right? So put it in a container or let it float outside or whatever. And then you're proposing to them, like, what if we kind of let that not be front and center and try to get back on track? So what you do is you give it some air so they don't have to feel like they have to hold it or, or over-focus on it. They can get it out of their system a little bit in that moment. And that might help bring them down enough so that you can get them back in the present moment and focused on what's coming up next in the competition. So then would you say that there could be a benefit to before the meets? So now we're talking like a week out. Can I tell my clients like start picturing success? in advance because they're obviously picturing them folks failing in advance anyways right, I'm like right. okay could there be a positive to picturing yourself failing a lift and then coming back from that because if you just pictured the positives could that possibly hurt you on me day I don't think it could hurt you because that's mental rehearsal and mental rehearsal or visualization right beforehand is great it's not as great as the real thing but it can be really good for people to have a mental rehearsal. I think it's a good question you're asking. How I would, how I would like edit that is if they're worried about missing a lift, like let's talk about it. Let's talk about what that would look like, what that would feel like, and then what we would do, you know, or I, I would say to the client, what do you want to have happen if you miss your first lift? Well, I'd want to be able to shake that off. Okay, what are you and I going to be able to do to help you shake that off? So there's like a strategy already so that when they miss their lift and they freak out, you'll say, okay, we talked about this. We have a contingency plan for this. Um, So I think talking about it would be really useful in place of like mentally rehearsing it or maybe instead of. Okay, this is like, I've never pictures having that conversation with a client before like what what are we gonna do if you fail like in my head as a coach I would be so scared to say it because I'm like oh no not a good picture failing but when you're 
what you're saying to me is like that makes so much sense because that could happen that's just the reality and if you have talked about it before it's gonna be easier to calm them down because they're mm-hmm. like wait a minute we talked about this like now both of us know that it was something that we talked about and we both are like okay but we already pictured this possibility and we know what to do so I think some coaches could be like me and be like scared to do it but like hearing this makes me be like no actually this is really genius because it makes the day of way better for the coach and the athlete Yeah. And this is, you know, in the case of your nervous clients who are like fretting about if they miss a lift, if they fail, if they screw up, if you've got some like super psyched, positive client, who's not talking about that, you don't need to bring it up out of the blue. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if the person, if somebody is worrying and perseverating, no matter what the anxiety is about, it's helpful to talk about it, unpack it and check out like, what's the reality of this happening, which, you know, at powerlifting, this is a reality. You can miss a lift, right? And then what's the contingency plan if that goes wrong? So probably you get to know your clients so well, I imagine that you know which ones fret and worry and ruminate on negative stuff. And maybe you have some that are just like super positive and that's not in their mind. And in that case, like to your point, you don't need to implant that into their mind. But most people tend to think negatively and worry. And I think powerlifting is a sport of precision and really, really high effort and high expectations on this self. So the chances that you're going to work with people who are hard on themselves is wicked high. I mean, and those fascinating about powerlifting is like, it's literally you and the bar. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like every other sport is not contact. Like, you can really hone in on, on just your mentality because, like, it's just you. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine this conversation if I coach basketball players. I'm like, oh, no, but but someone else is involved, too. So now we got to figure out the mentality with that. And I feel right. like it makes piloting, in a way, way easier to actually go about this conversation. Because it's, like, really just you and the bar. <laughs> Less variables, right? That's, it's that's like, right you it. know what you're in control of, and you know what you're not in control of. And with team sports, there are so many variables, to your point, like, um, other people on the team or your teammates or the referee or the umpire, like there's all these things that are outside of control where that's a really good point you're making with powerlifting. It's, you know, almost a hundred percent in your control. Oh my gosh. So my next question then is when it comes to injury and I saw, cause I was like re going through a bunch of your posts and you mm-hmm. mentioned like yourself coming back from, I'm not sure what the injury was, but something where like you were trying to do 15 in the past, but like you're working back up to it. And like, mm-hmm. I definitely have, I have an athlete right now dealing with a shoulder injury actually. And she's like really discouraged because like squatting is excruciatingly painful. And at the end mm-hmm. of the day, <laughs> we have to squat if we're going to compete. So now we have to make adjustments and it makes her feel weak, right? So like, how do you stay positive and not lose your love for a sport when you can't train the way you want to? Yeah, this is, this, these, all these things that I'm going to say are much easier said than done. So let me just start by saying I 100% understand the frustration. And with each passing year, as I get older and like, there's more aches and pains and there's, you know, I, I get it. Um, and Dan John wrote a book called the gift of injury. And I think that's a really nice way to frame up injury for athletes, because one thing that many athletes have going for them is they always want to grow and learn and improve no matter what. It's kind of like, you can be an athlete in your heart and in your soul, I believe, and just take that mindset. So for people, for athletes who get injured, who are frustrated, what I try to do is first of all, hear them out, which it sounds like you have heard. So they feel heard and what the frustration is. And, and then talk about what's going to, what is the path to recovery and how can you engage with that path in an athletic way? So this client of yours may feel pissed that she can't squat her full effort because of her shoulder injury. But if she has PT exercises or mobility drills, is there a way to frame that or put that in her programming or set that up where like as an athlete, that's what she's working on right now. And how can she go into that experience of, you know, can she get more familiar with what it feels like to retract her scapula or move it around her rib cage or she, how can she get really freaking good 
at rehabbing herself and recovering herself and use all of that desire to be effortful and passion in that direction, as opposed to thinking, I got to get through all this crap so I can get back to doing what I really want to do. Does that make sense? It kind of sounds like you're saying reframe the goal, like how good can you get at whatever it is for your shoulder so that you're kicking ass at doing that. And even though the goal is not, the goal is not what you want it to be, which is like new one rep max, like the new goal is this. So we can pursue that really hard. It kind of sounds like that's what you're saying. I think that's like that's really right. good. Because... I like what you're doing. Yeah. I like what you're saying. It's like a pit stop goal. Like the yeah. goal is still the goal. And Dan, John, again, the goal is to keep the goal, the goal, but you've got a couple other goals to get first. Mm -hmm. You know, like along the way, there's a few more dots on this map. And one of those dots is, you know, whatever the case may be with this individual's shoulder, for example, or like me recovering and wanting to get back to heavy deadlifting. I had to really get my adductors in really good shape. I had to have a lot of awareness about how I was having tension when I picked up the bar, which means I had a lot of work to do around firing my core and a lot of like PRI, you know, blowing up balloons and stuff that yep. like, yes, I was, I was eye rolly about all that, but it just got to the point where I was like, I better get really freaking good at turning tension on if I want to get back to picking up the bar. And so reframing it in that way helps you to feel maybe, you know, this athlete likes to feel intense and like, she's pushing really hard. We'll take all that energy and put it into the rehab. And I think you've got to be an active coach around that because athletes have a tendency to get eye rolly, especially if they're used to being like really exerting themselves and really, really achieving high heights. But it's like, they need help with that reframe of like, this is one trip, one leg of your journey to get back to where you want to be. So how can you and I help you stay focused and take this seriously and put your athleticism into this moment so that you can get yourself back to where you want to be? We will be right back to finish out this episode with Dr. Lisa and I. It's juicy, isn't it? I just wanted to give you a quick second to say, if you can, please cast a free vote for me as I am running to become Miss Health and Fitness with the goal of getting powerlifting in front of an audience of more people. This competition is important to me. I'm currently in the running. It's going to be going through June and into early July, every single day, you can cast a free vote to help me get the opportunity to get an article in Health and Fitness Hers Magazine to talk all about how more people, specifically women, can get into sport piloting and how easily accessible it is. So the link will be in the show notes and let's get back to today's episode. I love that. And another thing that my athletes definitely struggle with is comparing themselves to other competition right mm -hmm. so it's <laughs> yep like and I always try to tell them I'm like powerlifting is a sport where, like you have to really be battling against yourself but sometimes I feel like I've struggled to find the balance because for myself in particular like when I have a really big me I'm a higher level athlete because powerlifting like I truly am I'm focused on me but I'm legit trying to win and we're battling it out so it's like hard mm -hmm. to figure out how to help them stay focused on themselves. But like for me, like I'm focused on myself, but I'm very, very focused on what she's doing too. Cause I literally need to beat her. Right. So it's like, how do I get them to like not get discouraged by other competition and worry about themselves, but not also be this cheesy person who's like, don't care about the other person. Cause like it's a sport and we care. Cause like other people are competing. And if it was just yes. you, you wouldn't be doing it by yourself. Yeah. With no one else there. <laughs> yes. So you brought up a good point when you were unpacking that, which is that you are quite an elite athlete with a lot of experience. So when you think about motivation, there are three key ingredients to motivation. One of them is autonomy. One of them is competency. And one of them is relatedness or connection. And typically speaking, the less experience someone has, so the more novice they are, the more autonomy they need, the more they need to feel like they're doing their own thing. So when you have somebody who it's their first meet or the second meet, they don't need to worry about the other folks for the most part. They need to worry about having good lifts, working on that mental focus. You know, they need to focus on them. And then as they become more experienced and competitive, 
then you're doing this dance where you're paying attention to yourself, but because you have more experience of dealing with yourself, you have more bandwidth to also be monitoring what's going on around you and how hard you might have to push yourself when you get to the bench or whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? So that, you know, kind of spreading out your bandwidth, thinking about yourself and what's going on around you, you got to have some repetitions and some experience with yourself and really feel pretty autonomous if you're going to be stretching yourself out, you know, let's say you're, you're going to go for a one rep max or something like that. Is that, is that landing with you or how is that landing with you? I guess I should say. So it makes sense. You basically, as you get more competitive and stay in the sport longer, the bandwidth spreads to not just be able to focus on yourself, but look at other people. That hundred mm-hmm. percent makes sense. I think though, I still do struggle with, okay, so let's say I have one client in mind who's doing nationals this year, her second time ever. And now she's really looking at other people. She did it last year and now she's more competitive. But sometimes she's so focused on what they're doing. She's like, Solana, we got to step it up. She, I saw her do this and I'm like, okay, but we're four months out. And like, I just don't know how I get you to just focus on you. So I'm like, I can't tell, I can't help you with what she's doing right now until meet day. It doesn't matter. Like, there you go. So you just said it. It doesn't matter until meet day. So that's a really good frame. I haven't heard that one before. And so I think that that's how you try to make containers for your clients is you say, I hear you thinking about her. You know, what's going to help you to do the best you can and beat her is to focus on you right now. When we get to meet day, we will talk about her and what she's doing and what you need to do in order to beat her. But what you need to do to beat her right now is not worry about her and worry about you. I think that's what I heard you just say to me. So it is. You said it better though. You put, well, you put that you put that boundary right around it, right? And so I hear you. I'm so glad you're thinking about how to win. That's awesome. When we get to competition day, we're going to talk about her. We're going to think about her, and we're going to beat her. Four months out, the way to be her is to be working on you and your strength. And so when you make, you can make that nice boundary and separation, hopefully that could get her on board. Okay. I like this. It's like, I answered my own question, but I needed to hear it back from you. I'm seeing how this works. I got to hear it back from you to feel like I know what I'm doing. That's right. Well, you do know what you're doing. Well, yeah. And this, do you see Solana, how it, it, it is coaching, right? It is like, I don't have any magical answers. You have so much expertise. And basically what I'm doing is bouncing, yes, my expertise off of what you're saying and then feeding it back to you in a way that helps you decide if you want to edit it or if that's right. It's like literally blowing my mind. (laughs) It's like literally blowing my mind when you do it. But yes, that is exactly what's happening right now. Okay, Mm -hmm. so just like we talked about a bit earlier, like having a strategy for what to do to get yourself in the zone for Mm -hmm. me today. Do we need to be practicing this strategy every single training session? Because like I yeah, personally, I, I don't think I have a strategy. Like I kind of go in, I'm like, I have some music and I go. It's just been working out for a few years. <laughs> mm-hmm. I bet you do have a strategy that you're not aware of because you're just doing your thing. And, you know, if we were to sit together and talk for an hour and break it all down and unpack it and I fed it back to you, you'd be like, oh yeah, I do do that. I do do that. I do that, you know. Um, but you know, to me, it's really working if you're not even aware, cause you're not trying to do something right. You're not trying to make something happen. You're just organically like doing it, how you do it. And it's working for you. So you keep doing it. When I meet clients, typically something's not going well or right. And so it helps to break, unpack it and pick it apart and, and look and see what's going on. Your, your other question is about if you have to do that every day. No, you know, the, the brain likes novelty, um, things that are different, And at the same time, you have to get your reps in and you have to practice form and technique. So I think variations in one day, maybe you're training with an energy level of four, the next day, maybe you're training with an energy level at eight. I think that's good because then you, it makes you have more versatility and you can be more resilient or hardy to the environment. You know, maybe someday you're training and I know this is probably a terrible thing to say for power lifters, but like you're in a little bit of a deficit, or maybe one day you're training after you ate way, 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 way too much pizza. And so having practice at being in different states, you know, physically and mentally, I think is good because it can give your 
like comfort zone or the, or the space in which you can perform a little wider and more hardy. When you get really specific and exacting, you can limit yourself a little bit. Um, so I think if people have some variation, I, I would not recommend against, you know, getting rid of that and just being like a little military machine day after day after day. Yeah. And you were talking about like, okay, so basically where he is not robots and I shouldn't start to try and make myself a robot <laughs> because that won't work out very well. Right. But, and you have to find the sweet spot, right? Like some people who are listening probably are, are much farther down on the robot spectrum where they're like. I need to have this protein shake in this shaker. I need to listen to these three songs. I need to, you know, I don't know, jump up and down six times. I need to look at this picture. Some people are, you know, more exacting and they really like ritual and routine, you know, and then other people are just way more like, like what you just said. I don't know. I just get out there and I do my thing. Um, so I think knowing where you are at on that spectrum is really useful. Uh, so again, something to unpack and maybe talk about or think about. And then, you know, is how's that working for you? If everything's working fine, you probably don't need to pick it apart. But if you think there's room to improve or if you're trying to change something. So, for example, we were just talking about like changing a negative thought or working on negative thinking. If you're going to do that, then you need to add that into what are you doing for your mental preparation or what are you doing in your training days and how are you weaving that in? Because remember, negative thoughts are woven into people's fabric. And if we want to pull that thread out and put a new thread in, you've got to practice that as well. So if you're working to build something or change something mentally, you are going to have to build that in as regularly as you can to your training. Yeah, it's be really intentional about it. That makes sense. That's right. That's right. I had a few people ask me questions on my Q&A for this podcast. Awesome. Awesome. Now this question, yeah, this one's a little bit vague, but I think we'll still go with it. So this person asked how to manage life stress in a healthy way to be conducive to performance, which is kind of tough. I'm like, well, life stress is really vague, <laughs> very vague. But I think we could at least dive into, okay, how do we kind of decipher when life stress is affecting performance versus just you are just not doing what you need to do in the gym because sometimes that's hard like is it because you had a very stressful weekend or is it because like today you just kind of suck in the gym Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so I love the topic of stress stress is a giant monster of a topic like we could probably have 15 podcasts and not talk about everything there is to talk about with stress you know, the people who are listening, they probably came to and fell in love with powerlifting because it helps with stress. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something to focus on. It's to your point, the sport is under your control. And, and a lot of the, the stress reaction is about feeling that you're not in control. You know, stress has three ingredients. Number one is um, something that's unpleasant that you'd like to avoid. Number two is something that you're not in control of. Um, sorry. Number one is it's unpleasant. Number two, you're not in control. And number three, you'd like to avoid it. So the feeling of not being in control, I think is one thing why people choose the hobbies they choose because they do, they can develop control and expertise over it. So first of all, you probably have clients who are like powerlifting is my stress reduction or coping or reliever. Yeah. Um, so the, her question is like how to manage stress how to manage stress. Maybe you should reread it to me, Solana, what she said, what she wrote. How to manage life stress in a healthy way to be conducive to performance. Conducive to performance. Yes. Well, if you are managing your stress well, it is conducive to performance. So if I were sitting with her, I would wonder about what she's talking about. Because some people manage, quote unquote, air quotes here, manage stress by drinking alcohol or binge eating, or couch surfing, watching Netflix, I guess technically those things can fall under, like on the menu of options for stress management. However, they're ineffective and they often backfire for stress management, right? So um, those things actually are not going to improve your sense of control or make you want to avoid less. 
they're probably not going to help the physiological reactions to stress, um, which is the way your body and your hormones respond to stress. So I would ask this person or anybody else, like what is in your toolbox for stress management? If it is things like sleeping, eating things that make your body feel good, connecting with others and having social time, um, you know, avoiding substances and foods that harm your body and screw up the way you feel, that is also going to improve your performance and create that, that balance that I think this person is looking for. The other way this, this individual might've been going is like people who overdo it, people who basically sacrifice, maybe people who are training for a competition and they sacrifice going out with friends because they need to train or they sacrifice going out to dinner with girlfriends because they don't want to deal with the menu and they need to stay on their, whatever their eating regimen is, you know, because they're, mm -hmm. they're close to competition. So I get that there's going to be days and times where you need to not go out for margaritas and tacos because you've got a competition in the next week. But if your life is revolving around the sport and you're isolated and you're stressed and you're unhappy, that's worth taking a look at, you know, that's worth, if, if the sport is adding to your life and enhancing your well-being, your happiness, your connection to others, you're probably in good shape and you're not asking yourself this question. If the sport is taking away from your well-being, if it's isolating you, if it's restricting your ability to like be a human being out in the world and pursue anything else outside of lifting, then, then that is worth taking a look at. Okay. I love that. Okay. The next one, I'm going to kind of say it my way because it was like a super run-on sentence, but okay. basically this person is saying, none of my friends really lift. And I know this person personally, they kind of just got into powerlifting, but they love it. But none okay. of my friends really lift and they are not helping me when we go right. out because <laughs> they want to do everything that they can't. Like, let's see pizza, have margaritas, da, da, da. And every time we, I get closer to meet day, I just think, should I dish all my friends and be alone? Mm. Yeah. So I like set this question up with the last Question. I know. So I was like, let me go with that one. <laughs> yeah. And I really hear that because it's freaking hard and the friends, they, they don't get it. They don't know it, you know, so they, they don't really have in the information to care about it probably. And over the years, I've heard clients say like, I actually think the other girls in the office don't like that. I exercise on my lunch break because it makes them feel weird about them. Not, you know, so you also have to think about when you're doing something good for yourself, is the negative reaction you're getting also about that individual not feeling good about the choices they're making for themselves? You know, I work mm -hmm. with a lot of people who are trying to either cut back or stop their drinking. And it is unbelievable to me how many people in my client's environment are like, oh, why are you trying to drink less? Come on, have that. You know, it's like, that's poison. They're doing something awesome for themselves. Why would you be pushing them? And just to keep in mind, this client should keep in mind, sometimes it's hard for people because they're comparing when someone else is doing something really good for their body and their mind. So they might not get it and, or they might not really like it because it's holding a mirror up to their habits that might not be so great. So I would encourage this person not to take it personally. And then also to think about how could she create some kind of community or connection in this new space that she wants to inhabit, you know, um, cause this is not a problem that is going to go away. And in fact, the more mm -hmm. she loves it and gets into it, she's going to need a lot of support around the lifestyle. Um, and so I don't know if like an online community would be helpful for her, or if she's training at a gym where there are other people lifting, if there's some way to like connect to those people or those women, but just to be thinking, not that she has to break up with her friends, her fun friends, because <laughs> they sound fun, but maybe that she has some kind of balance where her two choices are not go out and screw up my progress or stay home alone and isolate. You know, mm -hmm. if there was like three or four different options, I think that would help her to feel like she could navigate and maintain the friends that she obviously really cares about. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if I can answer the question, like community is so important, like get yourself involved in like a listening community. There's online ones, there's in-person ones. And then honestly, for me in my life, like the fun friends, I legit hit them up. I'm like, hey, I'm a month out. Don't invite me anywhere. I say, like, I, I literally send a text to all of them. Don't invite me anywhere, period. Like, leave me alone. Because <laughs> I'm going to be tempted to say yes if you hit me up on Friday at 7 p.m. I, I right. want margaritas, but I'm not right. going. <laughs> so just don't right. even do it. <laughs> yeah. So then again, see, Solana, this is a really good example of you having, a, you're helping your friends by doing a really clear boundary. You know, so there's no, they're not like, oh, we know Solana's preparing, but like, we don't want to like not invite her and then her be upset that she's left out. No, you're, you're making it real easy for them to know how to support you. So that's a great example. Oh man, boundaries are fun. People don't like them though. <laughs> I love them, like but... them, but they're awesome. Right. That's right. Yeah. All right. The last one is I get that sleep is important. Do we really need eight hours every night or else? Good question. I mean, the, short, the short answer is no, you don't. So eight hours, I think that's the one that gets the most lip service, but there's a window and the window is seven to nine hours. So if you think about people existing on a bell curve, right? Like the middle of the bell is the high point kind of. So if people are listening and not watching me on YouTube, if you can think of what a bell curve looks like, most people fall somewhere in the middle and eight would be the middle of that bell curve, right? But Plenty of people are healthy and good and seven hours works for them. And there's people out there who need nine. <laughs> My husband is one of them. <laughs> so, you know, I, I understand, you know, why people ask this question because they feel like maybe they're not getting enough, quote unquote, if they're underneath the eight mark, but that's not true. The, the question is what helps you to feel the most rested? You know, if you're tired after a long day and the room is cool and it's dark and you're relaxed and you don't have to wake up to an alarm, how many hours can you sleep? So you can start to collect data on yourself. And there's so many wearables now that will mm -hmm. track, not that they can track super accurately if you're having REM sleep or deep sleep. I think a lot of those, I think they're kind of stretching, what, but they can tell how long you're not moving. And probably how long you, so you, if they're tracking your movement and the less you're moving, you're sleeping, right? So if you can capture that data and you can say like, I feel really good these days. And it's saying I'm getting like, for me, seven hours and 15 minutes is like the mode. It's the most often amount of sleep that I get. And I feel good. So there's been nights where I've been like seven hours, 45 minutes. But typically I can't, I can't be in bed after eight. So I think that's a good question and you should collect your own data and take variables out that are going to mess up your sleep. Like having a baby who wakes you up or drinking alcohol before bedtime, you know, other things that are just going to screw up your sleep cycle, try to have all the conditions be right. And then measure a whole bunch of good nights of sleep and see what the average is for how long that is. See, it's good that you mentioned that last part because I'm always a person who's like, I'm more extreme in life. So I'm like, turn off the TV, okay? Mm -hmm. Drink some tea, have a routine mm -hmm. and go to bed at the mm -hmm. same time. And like, I'm mm -hmm. single with two cats. And I'm like, not everyone's single living by themselves with two cats. So it's not the mm -hmm. same for everyone else. But mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. I can do it. Yeah, you have a lot of control over your environment. And there's there's parents out there who have good boundaries like you have. So they, their kids have a bedtime, you know, and they get to bed. And so there's some families where they really prioritize sleep. And those people are probably sleeping better than mm -hmm. families who feel like the kids don't want to go to bed and they're getting their butts handed to them. And then it's a much more erratic schedule. But to your point, having a, a bedtime magic routine is, is really helpful in just cueing the body and the mind that it's time to relax and to go to sleep. And hormones do control our sleep wakefulness. So the average time that people get that go to bed is 1030. But there are plenty of people who are night owls and who really aren't ready to go to bed until the wee hours of the morning. And there are some people who are larks and they're morning people and they need to get their butts in bed because they're going to wake up early. Um, they're not going to make up that time in the morning because their body is going to start waking them up. So knowing mm -hmm. If you are a lark, a night owl, or kind of average in the middle there also can help you. So for example, I am a super duper lark 
I will not sleep in, in the morning. So the later I go to bed, the more I am shortchanging myself. And so basically I need to be horizontal by nine o'clock to ensure that I'm going to be asleep at the right time. And I'm going to get enough before I start booting up in the morning. So it's also helpful to just be in tune with how your body works. You can help along the sleepiness, but if you're a night owl, it's going to be real hard for you to get yourself in bed at 9 PM. So what are the things you can do to, to kind of get the most you can out of whatever your range is? Um, but also like respect, you know, the body and the system that you have and try to work with its natural rhythm. Oh my God. Great advice. Absolutely love that. I'm just like you, by the way, I'm like, I'm getting up early no matter what. So let me go to sleep or else it's not going to happen. I have a coaching question. So this is more so for getting a new athlete who had a coach beforehand. Okay. How do you really help someone kind of overcome resistance to change? Like me having a very different approach as a coach, like with my actual programming and that person just struggling to get on board because they're like, I want, I hired you because I want to change, but this is so different that I'm scared. And like, meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, I can't make it similar to the last program because that one didn't work. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, even if I explain it, it's like, well, I'm explaining like, the logic behind a whole program. That's a lot for someone who's like, I just want to lift. So how do you help them without over explaining and getting sciency and just like making it so like they have buy-in, but you're not killing them? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's all part of like doing the dance. So in psychotherapy, we call it like, you're really dancing with your client. You're working with their resistance and their motivation and kind of the way that wax and wanes over time. So in this question, you're asking about them changing a relationship and the relationship is all about trust. They are putting their trust into you to lead them in the right direction. And you have a different style, no matter who the last one was and who you are, there is a difference. It's a different relationship. So they have to adjust to that. And part of their expectations is going to be whatever happened in the last situation. So you should expect your clients to experience resistance and to have questions that's normal And the more you can talk about it, the better they're going to be able to acclimate. And not that you have to explain every single detail, explain yourself and defend yourself. No, but in, when you were talking, Solani, you said something that I think is important, which is, well, your last program didn't work, right? So it either didn't work for them because they didn't get stronger. They didn't hit the numbers. They got injured. Something happened, which you will learn when you're intaking them and you're getting to know them. So when a client resists and says something like, well, why do I have all this? I didn't do that in my last program. Thank you so much for asking. I'm glad you asked. I know it's different. I know with your last coach, you did blah, 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 volume, whatever, whatever. Um, You're coming to work with me because you want to get past where you were and you want to get stronger than you were. So this is the approach that I'm taking. Do you have any questions about that? That might be enough for them. And then if it's not enough for them, they'll say, well, why is it, I don't know, two days instead of four days? I don't know what they're going to ask. And then you can say, I'm so glad you're asking me this. Here's why. So you want to be able to give them like the Goldilocks amount, enough information, but you shouldn't, I don't want people to go into, because I want to protect coaches too from getting burnt out. And if you always feel like you have to defend yourself and like give a dissertation on why you're creating the program the way you are, that's going to suck you dry and cause you to resent your clients, right? So it's not going to be good for you in the long run. And a lot of that information might go over your client's head when what they really want to know is, do you understand me? Do you see me? Do you know me? Are you going to be helpful for me? That's really what the emotion that's underneath that question. So You want to meet that question where it's at with like the least amount of technical blah, blah, blah that you can. So it sounds kind of like like read in between the lines a bit and like really understand what they're asking and why. So you don't do too much. Because I'm definitely, I have been guilty of doing too much where I'm like, thank you so much for asking. Here's six paragraphs. Um, (laughs) And they're like, thank you. (laughs) 
And I'm like, but yeah. are you really thankful or did I just like make you get a headache? And now you're just well, like, okay. Well, you know what they do is they see how much you care about them, right? They're like, oh, look at this robust, thoughtful, smart response that I got, right? So they see that you're competent. They see that you care. They see that there's intentionality. Do they need six paragraphs in order to receive that? Or are there a couple sentences you can say? You know, and so mm-hmm. people who are listening, like, go ahead and keep writing the six paragraphs if that's working for you. But if it burns you out, if it, you know, if you don't have time for that, right, because your time is money also and those six paragraphs take time. So if it doesn't make you feel good, if it's sucking out your time, maybe you could work with interacting with that kind of resistance differently and seeing if you get the same result with less work. Thank you. I'm mm-hmm. an overthinker. I'm totally the overthinking coach who tries to teach your clients not to overthink. So like this, like just hearing, like you can probably say in a couple of sentences, because even though you're saying like, if the six prayer gods works for you, keep going. Realistically, I I know they don't really want six prayer gods, but in my mind, I'm just like, I just need to thoroughly answer everything they said. I just want to make sure they know I care. And I'm like, okay, but now I'm getting too emotional and they might not even be super emotional about the question. They're just generally curious. And I'm like, really like, Oh my God. All right, here we go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love that example because you have insight about what your stuff is that's coming up. So there's their stuff, whatever's going on for them. And then there's your stuff, which is like, I really want my clients to know I care. I really want them to know I know what I'm doing. So I'm going to like write them a dissertation so that that is clear. And when I said, if it's working for you, keep doing it. What I mean by that is there's nothing inherently wrong that's not being a bad coach but is it could it be a waste of some of your time and energy mm-hmm. and could it be instead of hitting the bullseye of I see you I care about you I know what I'm doing could you just be you know I forget I don't know how to say it but like you know hitting it with a sledgehammer instead of a little fine point you know needle ah uh, no that makes sense I like that analogy Oh, thank you, Dr. Lisa. It's been amazing talking to you. Can you please tell everyone how, if they were interested, if you even have openings, how they could work with you and reach out to you? Oh, thank you. Um, so my website is my home base, which is uh, drlewisconsulting.com. And there people can see podcasts that I've done or articles that I've written. Um, I don't have any speaking engagements coming up, but if if I ever I'm going to speak at workshops or anything, I post them on there. Um, I also have for coaches who are out there, I also have a course. It's called Psych Skills for Fit Pros Volume One. And that is a 13-hour CEU online uh, course that people do at their own pace, which focuses on motivation, change, the, the process of change, and then motivational interviewing, how coaches can interact with clients to help them change. So all that is there on my website. Um, to work with me, I don't technically have openings right now at that at this moment, but that always shifts and changes. And what I will say is, you know, I'm licensed to practice in the state of Massachusetts. So if you are not in the state of Massachusetts, you can reach out to me, but we would need to look and see what the laws are in your state about an out-of-state practitioner providing services to you. So for example, I can provide 160 hours of service a year in Arizona but I can okay. do zero in this, in the state of New York. So every state okay. has like different rules, um, which, you know, if you're listening and if you're thinking about reaching out to me, just reach out to me and we'll figure it out. You don't have to, I guarantee you will not be able to find it easily because it's hard to find. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the last thing I will say is um, my Instagram feed, that is like my little baby. And like twice a week, I try to post on strength training and or exercise and its relationship to mental health and thriving and um, really well-being. So that's at Dr. Lewis Consulting. And I'd love to see everybody listening on there. Yay. And I'll put everything she talked about in the show notes. You can just click the link, make it easy for everybody to get to you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been incredible. Seriously, I learned so much. I'm going to like go write a bunch of notes and be like, okay, this is what you're going to do now, Salon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I love when I love to speak to people who have questions, 
you know, like you really knew what you wanted to talk about. And that really helps the conversation to just be like flow really easily and to be great. So thank you. Of course. And y'all catch you next time on the Power and Lifting podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved today's episode, please do leave a five-star rating and a review for the Power and Lifting podcast. If you are on Apple, if you're on Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. I appreciate all of you. Your ratings mean the world to me. Share it with a friend if you got something out of it. And remember, I'm always a DM away on Solana underscore list. If you have any feedback on the episode or any ideas for a new episode and for new guests. Catch you guys next time.